You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. The two disciples in our reading today are on a journey in more than one sense of the word. Not only do they go these seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they go from confusion to faith, and they go from wanting answers to wanting Jesus. It's that third thing that is really central to, to what I think God wants to say to you and to me this morning. They went from wanting answers to, want, to wanting Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. So notice in the first part of our, re- of our reading, verse 17, after Jesus appears to them and Luke gives us this vivid storyteller's picture of them kind of, you know, they're walking along, they stop, head stoop down. You know, you can almost see their faces in Luke's description, can't you? They're downcast. What are they downcast about? They're downcast about Jesus' terrible death. Yes. They're confused about what the women have encountered at the tomb. Yes, so they've got questions. And more than anything... Their downcastness is summed up in their declaration of what they had thought would happen before Jesus died. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's a good hope. They had questions. But the chief source of their sorrow wasn't that they'd lost Jesus, but their hopes had been dashed. Their hopes had been dashed. Compare that to John's account of when, under notes to the, the, to the disciples at this time, Mary Magdalene had encountered Jesus in the garden. And John 20. I'm being naughty because you're not supposed to really you know, cross resurrection accounts from different Gospels, but it's, it's worth it today, I promise. <laughs> in John 20, we have this description of Mary in the garden. She finds the tomb empty. She is crying. Why is she crying? She's, she meets a gardener, apparently. And he asks her, why are you crying? Is it because her hopes have been dashed? Is it because she's confused? No, she replies, they have taken my Lord. And I don't know where they've put him. What is she sad about? She's sad that she doesn't have Jesus. She's sad about Jesus not being there. Her sorrow is different to the disciples in our reading today. She doesn't want answers. She doesn't want victory over the enemies of Israel. She wants Jesus. She wants Jesus. And what happens at the moment when Mary makes this declaration? Her eyes are opened and she sees him. She recognises his voice. She cries out for a bono. And she encounters the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the same thing essentially happens to our disciples by the end of the, the reading we had this morning, the two on the road to Emmaus, they start off wanting answers, wanting uh, the hope that, they, that has been lost to them. But by the end, even though they don't know it's Jesus, they want him. This man who has opened the scriptures to them. This man who has walked with them along the road and given them hope. This man that they've encountered, whose name they don't know yet, they are desperate for him to come and stay with them. Luke's language is so strong, it's like they compelled him. 
You know, they grabbed him by the shoulders. Really. Come, you've got to eat with us. You've got to eat with us. And he's painting this story of what the Christian life is about. For, for Luke, the picture of being on the way is, is code for this is what it means to be a Christian. They want, they've gone from wanting stuff to wanting a person. In this incredible encounter, Jesus explaining the scriptures. I just think, can you imagine? I don't know how long it took them. It said it was seven miles, so two, two and a half hours maybe. They were good walkers, so it's probably a little less than that. In those times, he explained everything <laughs> from Moses and the prophets. He explained the whole picture to them. This, imagine having that intense lesson from Jesus himself. How the whole of salvation history flows from Genesis, you know, right from everything, the prophets, the Psalms, everything, how it all points to Jesus, how is it like this streams of a tributary gathering together into a kind of rushing torrent, like a, a huge river of like, look, it's all about him. Amazing. By the end of that time with him, what they want has changed. Do you see that? Yeah. Now they want this man even though they don't know his name yet. Now they want his fellowship. But now they want to spend time with him. So they compel him to come in. They've gone from wanting things to wanting Jesus. And as that happens, at the moment that happens, they sit down to eat with him. As they share that fellowship, which is the, the, over a meal, which is the, kind of, the, the pinnacle of that, desiring to, to be with this man rather than to have answers. At that moment, the same thing that happens to Mary Magdalene happens to them. Their eyes are open. And they see him. They encounter him. Can you see the, can you see the journey that they've gone on? Can you follow the, the thread of what God's word is saying to us this morning? So here's the heart of what God wants to say to you through his word today. God wants you to have the kind of confidence in your faith that you would have if you had met Jesus on the way to church here this morning and he'd walked with you, like, you know, okay, everyone drove, but if you'd walked, <laughs> he'd walked with you the whole way. He'd want you to have the same kind of confidence that if you're sitting there in your chairs right now, he was sitting next to you, showing you the wounds in his hands, speaking with you, spending time with you. He wants you to have that kind of assurance about your faith. To know, no, no, in the depths of your heart, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is risen and alive and reigning today. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that God wants you to have that assurance? Yes. He wants your heart to burn within you when you read scripture. Not because it makes sense, not just because it's beautiful. He wants it to burn within you because it's alive, because you feel like when you read the Bible, God is speaking to you personally, explaining, unpacking, as he did for these disciples. He wants you to have an encounter in church, at the communion table, in your prayer time with him that is so powerful it leaves you in no doubt about your faith. It will feel like you've been walking with him. He wants you to encounter him. Again and again and again. He wants to fill you with the, the apostolic certainty. The same confidence that these guys had, that they'd met Jesus, that sent them out into the whole world, ready to lay down their lives and do whatever it takes 
to convince as many people as possible that Jesus is alive. And to win the world for him. That's what he wants for you. The, just the first thing that God wants to impart to you is the confidence that that is true. And then some of you have come here this morning, perhaps you've never experienced that kind of encounter with God that gives you that sense of, wow, this is more than a good idea. Wow, it's more than I need to be saved. It's, perhaps you've never had that encounter with God that says he is real. That Jesus Christ is, is able to be present to you in a personal relationship. The first thing God wants to say to you through his word this morning is that is absolutely his intention for you. He wants you to have that encounter. So why then is he hidden? Why is he hidden in this passage? Why not just immediately reveal himself to his disciples? Is he playing games? Is he having fun at their expense? Maybe even you feel like he's been having fun at your expense because you've not had that experience. That cannot be true, can it? God is good. He loves you. Everything he does is for your well-being. So why is, is Jesus, why are the disciples kept from seeing him? Why did Jesus go to heaven? Why is he reigning at the right hand of the Father rather than on a giant golden throne in Jerusalem? Why? Why, why do we experience doubt or confusion? Why, when we read the, read the Bible, is it not just perfectly plain, exactly what God means all the time? Why is he ever hidden in any sense? Why is prayer hard? Why are miracles apparently in short supply? Or so we'd like to think. Why does revival tarry? Why, you know, why aren't people just set on fire by the gospel all the time? Why do we experience that dark night of the soul where God seems far away, having been so close? Why do we have these seasons of being near to him and being far away? Why are we, like the disciples, kept from recognising him? Because God wants you to go on that journey, that same journey these two disciples were on, from wanting answers, from wanting things, from wanting your hopes fulfilled, from wanting the benefits of Christ, to wanting him himself. Wanting him himself. There is something so important about a personal relationship. It is easier to know that than for me to explain it to you. But let me just give you one example that I came across this week that Joe Astley put on Facebook. She was in the park with William and found a present wrapped up under a park bench, I think it was. Present wrapped up. It was a it was a packet of sweets. Now, okay, that's a present. And if you just found a packet of sweets wrapped up, I don't know what you do with it. <laughs> Probably check it out, and you know, if everything was okay, maybe like, well, that's it. You know, someone's dropped some. Lucky for my kids. But attached to this packet was a label that read this: "Please accept this random act of kindness in memory of our baby boy who should be turning two." Doesn't that change everything? Doesn't that change everything? Do you see how important relationship is? It changes everything, doesn't it? We know that. God wants you to have good things. He wants you to have 
better things than packets of sweets, even love hearts, which are really nice. <laughs> I've got little messages on. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to live righteously in a way that makes you and other people around you happy. He wants you set free from sin. But more than all those things, he wants you to know him. He wants you to hear the words that he would speak to you. To feel the love that he would pour out to you. To know his intentions for you. To have him as a friend, as a father, as a brother. To have him living inside you. A person. You know, that's his, all along, that has been his method, hasn't it? That has been his intention. When God created the world, he didn't just create it and go, oh, you know, I'm just, I didn't want to look good here. Some people. <laughs> it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? When he created the world, it was like that, that packet of sweets. It had a label on saying, this is for you. And not just for you. But for you, and you, and you, and you. There are things in this world that he specifically made that he knew would delight your heart, that would make you happy, that would interest you. When he he died upon the cross, it says, those he called, he justified in Romans 8. That means, you know, when he died upon the cross, he knew you. When he took the sins of the world upon his shoulder, it wasn't just this amorphous mass of black, you know, awfulness. It was your sin. The things that you've done wrong, your rebellion, your choices against him, that he willingly took upon himself. It was you he thought of when he said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And he says in John, John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> so heaven, isn't, again, isn't just this place that happens to exist, then God goes, oh, you know, maybe people would like it here. <laughs> He's gone to prepare a place for for you, specially made to delight your heart, a message, an eternal love letter for, your, for you personally, from God. He wants a relationship with you. So what's the key then? If God wants you to have this assurance about your faith, if he wants you to feel that he is real, to feel that you've encountered him, what is the key? It's wanting Jesus himself. When he's hidden, that's what he's meeting you to. So maybe you're here, you've got no faith. What he wants is for you to know him. Not just his benefits. Maybe it's all just a muddle in your head and you're thinking, like, I don't get it at all. Look at Jesus. Be drawn to him. And he'll become clear to you. Maybe you've come with small faith. Maybe a time of confusion faith. Maybe you wandered away from God for some time. Maybe things are not how they used to be. You don't have that first love anymore. You don't have that buzz in worship anymore. The scripture isn't alive to you as much as it used to be. Maybe there's a, there's a hardness in your faith where you feel like you've stopped being able to approach God's throne and come and encounter him personally. You know what God is doing. He is not playing games with you. He's drawing you to himself. A personal relationship. He is honing you. You know, when Jesus died upon the cross, I, 
you know, I said this earlier in my prayer for Sri Lanka. He was lifted up upon the cross. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The cross and its benefits, salvation for sinners, free and glorious, is enough to draw people. It's incredibly attractive. The love of God portrayed at the cross is incredibly attractive. It's enough to, to move the hearts of the most hardened atheist. But when people come to the cross, it's not just the message that they get. It's not just salvation that they get. It's not just an example of love that they take away. Having been drawn to to the cross, they come and they see Jesus. Jesus. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for us. What does it mean to want Jesus? To want a personal relationship with him? If this is all true, then that's the key question, isn't it? If what God wants more than anything is for us to know him personally, then what does that mean? The first thing we can say is that to want Jesus is to want love himself. St. Augustine says, whoever loves love, loves God. Whoever loves love, loves God. Because God is. He is love. And so that means, if we look at the cross, if we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we can picture it in our minds, it's fresh in our minds from Easter, isn't it? Look at the cross and not just say, wow, that's amazing. Not just agree that it was the right thing for, to, to, to do, for God to do. Not just be thankful for it. But to see the love of God that is revealed at Calvary and say, I want that love. To me and in me and flowing through me. I want the love of Christ. You know, to, to want the love of Christ is to want to know the love of the Father like Jesus did. That is God's intention for you. That there is not a single moment, not a single second in life, not a thing that happens to you where you doubt that there is an all-powerful God of love who controls every aspect of reality, who in every moment is doing good to you because he loves you. That's what Jesus wants to give you. It is to, to, to want that love. To love love is to want that. To love love is to want to be able to love like Jesus. To be so free, not bound by any sin or addiction or habit. Not be bound by any inability or weakness. But be, to be able to offer yourself in complete and free obedience to God. And do, do stuff that just, when you see his love for you, you return it back to him. To live a life that makes sense of God's love. <clears throat> to love love itself is also to love the world like Jesus. To love people as Christ loved them. One person said this, true love is to accept people as they were, as they are, and as they will be. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. 
Can you do that in your own strength? No. But to love love is to want to be able to do that. To love love is to love a person as God intended them to be. To see them as God intended them to be. So we have to want that love. To look at the cross and to see that that downward dimension of knowing the Father's love. That upward dimension of being able to love God like Jesus in freedom and perfect obedience. And overflowing with that love that forgives our enemies and transforms the world around us. And just simple question. Do you want that in your life? Do you want to know God's love? Do you want to be able to love like Jesus? I think that's a fairly easy question. But make it personal for a second. Of all the things that you want, do you want that? The Bible makes it very clear. This is like the pole star that leads us to Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. A ringing gong. Nothing. A clapping gate in the wind. If I have all spiritual powers and experiences, if I have all knowledge, but I have not love, I'm nothing. A blimp of a man, bloated with hot air and no substance. Those who, you know, the Lord turns away. They say to him, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we performed miracles in your name and we told people about you. And he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. What did they not have? What did they not desire? They did not desire the love that Christ offered. God wants us to have that certainty of his of his reality with us. But it comes through desiring a relationship with him. It comes through desiring that love. So we, we, if we want that assurance, we have to, if we want the reality of Christ in life, we have to set our sights on what he offers us. And all his other benefits flow from that love. But there's something else we need to say. It has to come through personal relationship. If we're not careful, even the love of Christ offered to us at the cross could become a thing that we want, an object that we desire apart from Jesus himself. As if we could come to the cross and say, thank you very much, and then leave again. So God pushes us further. He says, not only do you want the love that I offer you, but are you willing to receive it from my hand? Again and again and again. Are you willing to receive it in relationship with me? God wants us to have that certainty, but it comes through desiring a relationship with him. Again, it makes sense of our everyday experiences, doesn't it? You imagine a marriage where, you know, wife, husband and wife, you know, they get married and then they get home... And the wife puts the husband in the cupboard and says, I'll see you next week. (laughs) I know some of you may feel like that. (laughs) Open the cupboard on Saturday. Right, it's time to go shopping. I need your wallet. It's time for our weekly kiss. 
you know, this is, relationships, we know what they are, right? I mean, it's silly because we know what relationships are. And we're talking about having a relationship with God. You know, the important thing is, we intuit, we understand, really, without thinking about it, so much of what that means. A relationship is what? It's, it's there is another person. For you guys who are married, you know, for those, and for those of you who've got kids as well, the thing that surprised me most about marriage and having children is that I, without really realising what I was getting into, other people were involved, people that I couldn't control, I can't dictate to, that I may have plans for, who confound those plans. They're free, they're other, they're separate from me. And in that freedom is this beautiful richness. I can be surprised. I can have my horizons expanded far beyond what I could manage myself. I can be changed. I can be spoken to. I can speak to them. I can be disappointed. I can be amused. You know, it's so rich, isn't it? Relationship is so rich. It's so obvious. I mean, I feel like I'm spoiling it even trying to explain it to you. But the important thing is that when we think about a relationship with God, we don't dumb down what a relationship is. But actually, we, we go upwards from human relationships and say, you know, human relationships are given to us so that we can understand, just get an inkling of what it's like to be in relationship with God, who is more free than any person, more wise than the best wife, even Abby, <laughs> who's, you know, will never completely comprehend one another because that's what it means to be a person. But God is internal on top of being a person. We'll never get our heads around him. It'll be an exploration of joy and peace, ever more knowing him more and more fully, constantly surprising us, constantly causing us to grow, speaking to us in prayer, through his word, being spoken to. It's dangerous being in relationship. Things happen that you don't want to happen. God hides himself to draw us closer to him. That's not how I would do it. God holds off revealing his truth to us until just the right time. And he drops sweet truth like honey into our hearts, doesn't he? Leads us down paths we would never choose and then delights us with consequences we could never have imagined. Takes us through suffering change us and purify us and turn us into people who are like Christ. So what God longs to give us is not just knowing the Father's love. That is amazing. (laughs) It's not just being able to love God like Jesus did, which is amazing. It's not just being able to love other people as Jesus did, because that is amazing. But it's to have all those things in relationship with Christ. What God wants to give us is not just a substance, but a person. Not just a thing, but a a gift that keeps on flowing and flowing. That's what the disciples in, this, in our passage experienced on the way to Emmaus. That's what the, the burning hearts were about. It was Jesus opening the scriptures. It wasn't just anybody opening the scriptures. It, wasn't, it couldn't have been a textbook. It couldn't have been Douglas Moo explaining the Gospels. You know, it couldn't have been those things. It wasn't just a book 
Jesus, this encounter on the road to Emmaus couldn't have happened. They wouldn't have had burning hearts if it wasn't Jesus with them unpacking the scriptures. It was him explaining, him giving that gift. It was Jesus breaking bread, giving thanks, breaking bread, just like he did at the feeding of the 5,000, just like he did at the last supper, same thing. It's Jesus. It was his words, his way of speaking, perhaps his habit of breaking the bread in a certain way, but they recognized it was him that they wanted. That's what God wants for you. That's what he's pushing you towards. How much do you want the person, Jesus? How much do you want a personal relationship with him? How much are you willing to risk to have that love from him? in relationship with him. I read recently um, a story by a guy, uh, well, a testimony from a guy called Dallas Willard. He relates uh, the conversion of his friend, a guy called Gary Smith, who was an atheist. Had no thought of God, no religious upbringing. He, wasn't, he just didn't think about God. He was just a nothing. But he had a middle-class life, and he moved to a middle-class neighborhood, a suburban area, I can't remember what it was, somewhere in Chicago, I think it was, somewhere like that, in the US. And because it was the middle class thing to do, they started sending their kids to Sunday school. And after a little while, he began to get a bit worried. He began to think, well, hang on a minute, I don't believe any of this stuff, (laughs) but my kids are being taught about this guy called Jesus. I'm going to find out who this Jesus is. That began his thought process. And then one night, not long after that, he woke up in the middle of the night with this thought. Go downstairs with a a piece of notepad and a pencil to find out who this Jesus is. And he went downstairs. And he encountered the presence of God. The presence of God. So tangibly. So really. He was in no doubt that he had met the risen Christ. And he was saved. He became a pastor, a really powerful uh, pastor in in that area. Saved through meeting Jesus. Why did he encounter him like that? Because he said in his heart, I want to find out. Not what Jesus has done. Not what Jesus can do for me. But who is Jesus? You think of uh, the story of Simon the Pharisee. uh, who completely missed the fact that the Messiah was in his house. And the woman came in. A prostitute, most likely. Washed Jesus' feet with her hair cried you know, on his feet washed his feet with her hair scandalised everybody for this incredible show of devotion she saw Jesus when everybody else missed him maybe that's you maybe that's how you feel you feel like everybody else can see this guy I can't you know what Jesus said to Simon at the end she loved much she loved me much you loved me not at all Simon was looking for a Messiah. The woman was looking for the Messiah. So that's a key question for you. Do you want him? Do you want Jesus? Do you want his love? Do you want him personally? He wants to initiate you in faith in Christ through that desire. He wants to refresh you 
weary Christian journey is with a reminder that that is the heart of your faith. Do you want Jesus? He wants to empower you again and commission you again, like the apostles, with an encounter with him that comes from a cry of your heart that says, Lord, if I, I don't want anything else, I want you. Is that where you're at this morning? Are you ready to make that cry out to him? You know, you want the Bible to live. Do you search and search the scriptures? Jesus could be right in front of you. If you want him, your heart will burn within you. Whatever it is, however far away you feel from him, whatever thing you, if you set your heart on knowing him, he will appear before you. You know, when we set our hearts on knowing Jesus, the one who is love, our eyes are suddenly opened. We can see how close he has always been. There's never been a time when he's not been there not been near and we see as we set our hearts in him how in all things he is personally drawing us into that love that triune love he is personally showing us with his sonship like a a bridegroom to a bride welcoming us into his family and saying see come know the father know his love for you he's filling us with the spirit and helping us to know him what it means to suffer with him and share in his glory He's giving us that freedom of of sons, that peace, that joy that he has. To love like him. And to know him and be with him for all eternity. Let's pray.